King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. We're going to be starting a new book in the, uh, we're going to be reading out of the book of John, and I'll be reading verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, so it's on page 11, or 1052, if you want to follow along in your pew Bibles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for uh, uh, this message that we're going to be hearing about, uh, about you. So, Father, I just pray that you'd open our ears and hearts to hear and just pray for our pastor as he shares uh, what it is you put on his heart to share. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I'm excited to uh, try some of these new soups. I, I did some research on uh, awkward soups. So if you've had menudo in here, I actually love menudo. It's cow tripe soup. It's a Mexican soup. Uh, but I also learned that there's bat soup and shark fin soup. So I hope uh, we might get to taste some of these later on th this afternoon, if any of you are so daring. I didn't make any of those, but you never know what people bring to a potluck. Well, I'm glad to be with you all this morning as we start the Gospel of John, this new series in the Gospel of John. And I'm sure many of you were wondering, are we ever going to do an Advent series as we kept going in uh, Philippians well, a few weeks after our brothers and sisters at East Randolph finished their series? And the answer to your question is yes, we are doing an Advent series. And Advent is a season that the church has historically celebrated to mark the coming or the arrival of Jesus in the world. That's what Advent means. It means coming or arrival. And in our study in the Gospel of John, we begin with Jesus's arrival onto the scene. And John begins with a clear understanding. We'll see some of that this morning, that Jesus is God, Jesus is man, and Jesus saves his people from their sin. And as we study the Gospel of John, I'd like you to turn a few pages forward if you're still in the Gospel of John to John chapter 20. Each week, hopefully, we remind you of these verses. John, after he has written his entire Gospel, he pens these words in verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written 
so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so after all that John has accounted for in his gospel, he wants to remind the readers, he wants to remind us why he wrote the book. The, the final words that he is penning, he wants us to remember so that we would have life in the name of Jesus. And my prayer is that our time in the Gospel of John, however many weeks it takes us, will help us to collectively as a church to know what we believe, have life because of it, and worship God in light of it. And so will you pray with me as we jump into our text for this morning. Father, we thank you that we can have life through the name of your Son. God, we thank you that that is an eternal life in believing in his work on our behalf, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, his miraculous resurrection. God, we thank you for the work of your son on our behalf. God, would we see that even more this morning and worship you because of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So before we jump into our five verses this morning, I thought it would be appropriate to take some time to kind of set the stage, to get a little bit of background on the Gospel of John. John is one of the 12 disciples. You might know the story of John and his brother James being called the sons of Zebedee. They were fishermen and they left their nets and they followed Jesus. These are also the two brothers that asked with their foot in their mouth if they could sit at Jesus' right hand when he came into his kingdom and have the place of honor. And John's honor, as Jesus would say, and what we see in church history, was to suffer. He's probably the disciple who suffered the most out of everyone, where he was tortured, all of his friends were martyred, and eventually he was exiled on the island of Patmos, where he, was or he got to experience and write the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bibles. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved, as we see in chapter 21, verse 7. Leonardo da Vinci, he captured this in his painting, The Last Supper, where you see this disciple resting his head on Jesus. And speaking of love, love is a huge theme, as we will see over and over again in this gospel. And when gospel writers, when biblical writers write over and over again the same themes, it's something that we should take note of and emphasize ourselves. And he wrote this book, we call it a gospel. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But our Bibles have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they are an account of this life, this death, this resurrection of Jesus. And they all primarily focus on that last week of Jesus' life, the events of his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, his last week here on earth. And these gospel writers, they each focus on what is called this Passion Week, the week leading to the death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And in the 21 chapters that we have in the Gospel of John, nearly half of them 
focus on this last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Compared to the rest of the Gospels, John will appear to be different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call synoptic Gospels. Think of the word synonym. Similar words with similar meanings. Sin is similar. Synoptic, optic, is a sight or a view. And so the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give us a similar view of the life and ministry of Jesus. John is a little different. For example, John, as you've probably noticed in our first five verses this morning, he doesn't give an account of the birth narratives of Jesus. He doesn't talk about Gabriel coming to visit Mary, her becoming pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He does these things for theological purposes. John orders some of the events in his gospel differently. He includes additional details at times. He leaves out details from time to time, again, for theological purposes. He has a structure that's different than some of the other gospels. For example, Matthew, he has five discourses of Jesus that structures the gospel of Matthew, speeches or sermons of Jesus. John doesn't have that. But John does recount seven miracles of Jesus, ending at his greatest miracle, his resurrection from the dead. We know that Jesus did more than seven miracles in his ministry, but John, again, is emphasizing certain things for his readers. John also has seven I am statements where he talks about the identity of Jesus, the words that come out of Jesus' mouth, like famous ones like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The main theme in the Gospel of John is that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Christ, and the Son of God, and by believing in him, you may have eternal life. It is simple, but it is profound. And we will see in our time in this book what Jesus did, what he said, and what his people, what we are to do in response to his life and ministry. And so with that introduction, we find ourselves in the first five verses this morning that are part of the, what commentators would call the prologue, the first 18 verses, which will be our Advent series, these first 18 verses. The stage is being set. The call to worship is being announced. The foundation of this gospel is being laid. Of this, and let's look as we start in verse 1 of the prologue. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. For those of you who were here during our Genesis study, or you are familiar with the book of Genesis, these words might ring a bell. The first four words of the Bible are, In the beginning, God, in, John, or in Genesis 1, verse 1. And immediately, the reader is supposed to make this connection. John doesn't mess around. He goes straight after the most important thing we are to learn today, that Jesus is God. You know, God was from the beginning. In the beginning as well was the Word. The Son was always there. So friends, the Son has always existed 
And here we see the word that John uses is word or logos. And in the Bible, the word is connected with God's powerful activity in creation. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. The word is also connected to God's revelation to his people. As God speaks, as, as God spoke to the prophets, Jeremiah is an example where he says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, God delivers his people from adversity by his word as well, Psalm 107. He sent out his word, healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Or the prophet Isaiah 55:11, he talks about the trustworthiness of God's word. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. One commentator, D.A. Carson, he sums this up, I think, very well for us. He says, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, in revelation, and in salvation. And the personification of that word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure, the person of his own son. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, the Son, the Word. The Word was with God in the beginning. And we are to connect that that Word is God. John is not saying he is God-like or divine, but Jesus is fully God. We'll address Jesus' humanity in a couple weeks, but here we must understand that Jesus is fully God while also being fully man. It is hugely important for our faith. One theologian, J.I. Packer, he helped me to wrestle through and understand this a little bit more, where the Old Testament, it constantly emphasizes that there is one God. And we see in the New Testament that God's people are to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't say in Matthew the names, it says the name, where there is a unity of God. But it is complex, it's okay, and it's good to acknowledge that there is some mystery. We'll sing a song about the mystery that we have in this Advent season as we close our service. The Trinity is three persons subsisting or existing on their own without any help from the other. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are co-equal. <laughs> they are co-eternal. Each are fully God. And I think it's easier to explain or to illustrate what the Trinity is not compared to what it is to help us to avoid some mistakes. So the first is that the Trinity are not three roles played by the same person throughout history. It's not God of the Old Testament is the Father. It's not God of the Gospels is Jesus. It's not God of the uh, epistles and the book of Acts and the church today as the Spirit. 
That's a heresy called modalism, like the idea that you might have heard where God's kind of like liquid, where he's one way and then he's like a gas and then he's like ice as a form of water. This is a heresy called modalism. God is not like that. They are not three gods in a cluster. This is a heresy called tritheism where there's three gods merged together like the analogy of an egg, a yolk, and the shell uh, of, uh, um, sorry, the shell, yolk, and the whites of an egg. All three are God and all three have existed forever, for eternity, but there is, friends, only one God. There is one God who is also equally they and they are always working together and cooperating and when we think of the trinity although it is hard in our minds to grasp they all three deserve our attention they all three deserve our equal adoration they all three deserve equal honor because of their gracious ministry to us to you and to me and so why does it matter that jesus is god Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So think about this. There's about 80 people probably in this room, in this building. So say we've all sinned just one time today. That's about 80 sins. Well, there's almost 8 billion people in the world living today. So today, there's about 8 billion sins. And I'm sure that all of you are just a, a one sin a day person. I'm at least a, a three sin a day type of person. Why does Jesus need to be God? Only God could cover an infinite amount of sin. Being divine, it was his nature to do the Father's will, which would ultimately leave him on the cross. We'll see in a couple weeks, and I'll spoil it for you, is that Jesus is fully man. Only a perfect man could account for the sins of men and women like us in this room. And only an infinite God could cover an infinite, a multitude of sins for everyone. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. We would expect in our language, in English, that there would be a definite article there, the word the. It would be much easier if John would have just wrote, the word was the God, speaking of the only God. And it's good to know, again, what this doesn't mean. Arius, a third century uh, theologian, thought that because there was no the, that Jesus was just a God, or one of the gods. And all heresies, they continue to repeat themselves over and over again. This heresy is primarily in the religion of the Jehovah's Witnesses, as well as the Mormons, where they believe that Jesus is one of the gods and not God himself. But the problem with this heretical view is it concludes that Jesus was not eternal, that he was not God, but rather a created being himself. They would say that Jesus was the first of God's creation. As Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witness would say, they would say the highest of the angels. They believe actually that Jesus is the archangel Michael. Arians say that there was a time when Jesus 
was not. But unfortunately for these heretics, to say that Jesus is a God, it violates Greek grammatical rules. Here's the rule. A definite predicate nominative has the article when it follows the verb. It does not have the article when it precedes the verb. And I didn't understand that either when I was in Greek in seminary. So let me try to explain this for you. In Greek, you don't need the article. You don't need the the because it's not necessary. The article is included in the verb. It's Greek to me. We cannot impose our English onto the original Greek language, especially an ancient language like this that is not even spoken today. And I think verse two helps us even more to see that Jesus is God. Verse two says, he was in the beginning with God. Where there's an intimacy between the members of the Trinity, where he was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word. And they were both there when time started, when the world was created. So think about this infinity. You know, God is eternal. He has always existed. So think about this line, okay? It goes forever into the past and it goes forever into the future. That's how long God is going to exist, forever. But time started at the moment when God said it would start. And that's when time of earth begins when God said, let there be light. So remember that word as well. We'll get back to that soon. Who else was there in the beginning? Well, Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. All three members of the Trinity were there at creation, at the beginning. And there's this intimacy in the relationship of the members of the Trinity, where God has always existed in community. And we are created to live in community with him, but also to mirror that community with each other, together with him. I mentioned love is a big deal in the Gospel of John. Well, we'll see as well that relationships are a big deal as well as we go through this Gospel. Relationships with God's people and Him, but also relationships between God's people and each other. The Word, Jesus, He doesn't make by Himself the entire Godhead. Jesus is God and the divinity that belongs to the rest of the Godhead also belongs to him. And as one commentator said, the word was with God, God's eternal fellow, God's eternal companion, but also the word was God, God's own self. And John will continue to emphasize the Trinity for us as we continue throughout this gospel. And John says that Jesus has a specific role in creation. Let's look at verse three. He says, all things were made through him and was not, and was not anything made that was made. John has written verse three precisely in a way that makes it impossible to think that Jesus is a created being, as the Arians believe. 
Don didn't just say all things were made through him, but he also said, without him was not anything made that was made. The Father did not create the Son. John Piper says this, the words without him was not anything made that was made make it explicit and emphatic and crystal clear that anything in the category of made, Christ made. Therefore, Christ was not made. Because before you exist, you can't bring yourself to existence. Christ was not made. And that is what it means to be God. And the word was God. Jesus, who is God, was in the beginning. He started it all. For something that to begin, there needs to be an outside influence to begin it. Think about the timeline again. There's a beginning of time when out of nothing, something came. The Big Bang, maybe. Something never comes from nothing unless there is something all-powerful outside of time, outside of space that says, let there be light. In the beginning of creation, God's first words, let there be light. At the end of creation, on the sixth day, God creates man. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. You see these plural forms of God speaking of himself? It's not just the Father, it's the Father, it's the Son, and it's the Spirit creating humanity, creating us to be in community with Him. Paul talks about Jesus' role as well in creation in Colossians. Colossians 1, verse 16 and 17. Speaking of Jesus, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Friends, this Christmas season, this Advent season, this time of the year, remember Jesus' divinity. He is the only one other than you that can cover your sins past, present, and future. And while the other gospel writers focus on the humanity of Jesus out the gate, his virgin birth, the nativity scenes that we all love, this cute baby, which I'm sure he was, Jesus, or sorry, John wants us to see that Jesus is God. And like the Magi came to worship Jesus, we worship Jesus as well. Only God deserves our worship and our adoration. In this Advent season, friends, would we be a worshipful church and worship him for who he is and what he has done. The God-man, this Jesus, this second member of the Trinity, he came to work. Where Jesus' humility, which we will explore more in the next couple weeks, we've seen that in our study in Philippians, right? where he humbled himself. He took on human flesh. He took on the form of a servant as man for us to the point of death on our behalf. And why did he do that? Why would God humble himself for us? 
because we don't always worship. In the garden, Adam and Eve, they didn't worship and they didn't follow God's word. And verse four helps us to clarify that what Jesus does in light of that on our behalf. Let's look at it. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Another major theme for John, life. John mentions it 36 times in his gospel, far more than any other book in the New Testament. 16 times he refers to eternal life. That which biblical authors repeat over and over again is an emphasis for us to take note of. John 20, verse 31 again. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus came to give us life because life was in him from the very beginning. God in creation gave life to living creatures, to the birds of the air, to the creatures on the ground, to the mice in your basement, to the trees that you'll tap this spring, to the deer that you shot, to us. He gave life to it all. But in the fall, where Adam and Eve sin, life left us where we no longer walked with God and the curse of death came, where in Genesis 3.19, God says, for dust, for you are dust and to dust you will return. Fallen humanity would experience death. And the connections as you're seeing between the book of John and the book of Genesis are uncanny. And it's purposeful by this author, John, for us to see. If you want to turn to the front of your Bibles in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, after the curse, this took place in verse 20. The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is God's sacrifice, his first animal to cover the sins and the shame of his people. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us and knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eve to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. No longer did Adam and Eve, did we live according to God's original creation plans after the fall. Christ was life in the beginning. In him was life for those who believe in the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Why did Jesus come? He is God and he wanted to give his people life for those who believe in his name. And if you don't believe in Jesus, I call you to repent and believe in the name of Jesus. Today may be the day of salvation for you to have eternal life by believing in his name and the work that he has done on your behalf. And all we have to do is believe. We get life through his death. 
a death that we don't deserve and a death we should have died ourselves. And friends, that should lead us to worship. And this life was the light of men, John says. Jesus is the source of life, not just physical life, but spiritual life. As one commentator says, he says, the, the supernatural light that comes from life given through Jesus is a capacity to walk in the light, to make moral decisions that are in accordance with God's revealed will. Before we believe in Jesus and his work on our behalf, we cannot live a life according to God's will. But this new life in Christ is light. It's our guide. But the light is also our ability to live as God has called us to live back in the garden before the fall. John says this in his letter that he penned after this gospel in 1 John 1, 5. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. Where light brings to this dark world knowledge, purity, and it shows us the presence of God. One of the most famous passages in the book of John and probably in the Bible, John 14, 6. Many of you probably have this memorized. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, life comes through Jesus, and coming to the Father is life, and the light shines to give us life in his name. And maybe the most famous passage in the Bible, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have, let's finish it together, eternal life. Friends, Christmas, Advent is about eternal life. It's about what Jesus would ultimately do on our behalf, on the cross, and raise from the dead to give us a new life. Jesus didn't come to be a cute little baby. Jesus didn't come for any other purpose but to give us life. And life comes by believing in his name and what he has done on our behalf. And God's name is dependent on his character. When he says he will deliver and forgive and give us eternal life, he will do it. All we have to do is believe. Another key theme in the book of John of what we believe and what we put our faith in. But let's finish this morning with verse five. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, God, the creator, comes to give his people life, the life he created us to have in the garden and to restore it for us today where the world we live in is dark. We're not talking about sunset around 3.30 around here, the darkness that comes with that. We're talking about something much more significant in spiritual darkness. And again, John in all of his writing, he uses almost 85% of these words of darkness compared to the entire New Testament 
another big theme for us as we go through this book. The light of Christ shines in a world of darkness when Christ entered the world. And darkness here refers to a world that is completely estranged from God, God's enemies. And as in the initial creation, darkness was over the face of the deep, the world we live in is spiritually dark. But like God said back in creation, let there be light, and there was light. In Genesis, here we see that God says, let there be light in us, which is life. And friends, the darkness cannot and will not overcome it. And as we progress in John, darkness is not just an absence of light, but it is positive evil. John 3, 19, people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I haven't checked social media in the last 18 months, but I'm assuming this probably refers to the world that we live in where the world loves its darkness. It's evil. But Jesus is so kind and so gracious as to not wait in heaven and say, good riddance to those people. But he rather says, I love them. I'll go. I'll die. So that you and me can have life. And light is not just a revelation of the existence of creation, but it's the existence of evil. Where light shows us what is truly evil. But the darkness, friends, will not overcome it. The darkness will not overcome Jesus or his light. The first gospel, the Proto-Euangelion in Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This snake crusher defeats his enemy. This war is over. Battles may rage on, but the war is over. The darkness has not and will not over, ever overcome this victory in Christ. Where John starts his gospel with a glimmer of hope for Christmas, where in the darkness of night over the edge of the horizon, there's a glimmer of hope coming over the top of the hill. You guys might have experienced that this week. I was driving down 14 that day after we had that snowstorm and the sun was coming over the hill and I could see that it wasn't as cold anymore. The ice was finally thawing on my windshield and was warming my skin and showing me the beauty around us. Just like that, we hope for the morning sun just like that, we hope for the light of Christmas, the ultimate coming again when the war will be completely over. Where the God of the universe, the word, the sun comes in grace to the world that is dark and distorted and under the influence of his enemies to give us life. Life comes in the name of Jesus through his character and actions on our behalf by believing in his work. We have life and we have it abundantly and friends, it can never, ever be taken away from us. Our relationship with the God of the universe when we believe in the gospel is restored because only God can restore that which is broken 
in the world after the fall. And so this Christmas, this Advent, let's remember, let's remember that this season that your gracious God, for those who believe, has restored your life. And this Christmas, remember that Jesus calls us the light of the world, where we get to shine forth around to those around us. We get to let our light shine before men so that they may see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. And so let's rejoice in that. And let's rejoice even now. So as we invite the worship team to come back up, let's worship God for who he is, for the life that he has given us, for what he has done on our behalf. For the grace that he has given us to believe in the name of Jesus and his work for you and for me. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in you is life and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, we thank you that you did not stay in heaven and say good riddance to us, but you, in your grace, came through your son to die in our place on the cross and for our sins and to rise from the dead to give us a life that we don't deserve to live, but you give it to us and you give it abundantly. So God, would you help us to worship you in light of that? Would you be honored in the rest of our time together? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.